Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Burns. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. The sun's shining here in New York City and uh, makes me happy. And we're still doing this remotely, and we are very excited today to welcome Steve Totsky, Chief Commercial Officer for Mattel. We're going to talk about what the heck is going on <laughs> in this crazy <laughs> toy industry right now. Welcome, Steve. Nice to have you with us. It's great to be here, Chris and Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Steve, could you start off by just telling everybody a, a, a little bit about yourself? I think you're a Canadian guy, aren't you? I am, in fact, a proud Canadian guy. Uh, I've been uh, in this great industry for 25 years now. It's my 25th year. And it sells the 75th year. So about half of my life and about, I guess, 33% of Mattel's life. I started off with Mattel Canada back in uh, 96. I did run our businesses in Australia and New Zealand for a couple of years. I've been here in the U.S. since 2012. I did do a two-year stint back with the Spin Master Boys, great Canadian company, uh, Anton Renan and Ben Berardi in 2000. So when they were still a startup, I remember my price list was one page. Uh, simpler <laughs> days. <laughs> Those were simpler days. Those were simpler days. So tell us a little bit about what you're what you're doing with Mattel these days. Well, I'm Chief Commercial Officer, so basically uh, we set up as four regions, Asia-Pacific, Latin America, Europe, and North America. They all report up to a regional lead, and then that is my team. So basically look after all kind of sales and global marketing activation and operations around the world. So we got to jump in and ask, how's it going right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, look at it's uh, it's surprisingly uh, it's never boring. You know, this industry is you need to be nimble, you need to be agile, and I think once again um, that is coming to bear. I have to tell you that this industry is surprised me. It inspires me. The response over the last two months from a, a charitable contribution and how everyone is stepping up from Hasbro and uh, MGA and Spin Master. Everyone is doing amazing things. And here at Mattel, uh, we are the leaders in play. So play is essential, more essential than ever. And so we are, uh, we've taken a lot of steps over the last couple of months. Now, the first thing we did is we set it up Mattel Playroom. And Mattel Playroom is a digital destination. It's a resource for parents and caregivers. It's basically encouraging kids to keep playing. It gives tips and DIY projects. So it's a pretty cool resource. In addition to that, you might have seen last week, we had our first uh, Play It Forward initiative with Little People and Fisher Price uh, with Thank You Heroes. It's got a lot of cool press. I'm not sure. Did you see that, Chris? I did see it. It looked great. Yeah. So basically, if you haven't seen it, it is um, action figures, real life action figures or little people. And they're real life heroes. So it's doctors and nurses and there's shopkeepers and delivery people. Whoever thought, you know, your, your FedEx and your Amazon, they are essential services right now and pharmacists. And you can order now and you can get it for holidays in all of the proceeds are going to the first uh, responders first. So that's cool. And then just yesterday, um, we had our Thank You Heroes Barbie uh, rolled out. And with that one is you buy a Barbie doll and we donate a doll uh, promotion benefiting First Responders Children's Foundation. So this Thank You Heroes, you'll see, see this roll out across other motel brands in the coming weeks. So that's been pretty cool. We also gave grants to feed the children and save the children. 
And finally, we design teams partner with our manufacturing facilities for PPE equipment, including 500,000 face shields for donation. That's a lot. So it is a lot. It's been pretty cool. It's been definitely, we call it a Mattel moment of pride, but I'm just, uh, the entire industry really has stepped up to make a difference. And that's that's very rewarding. Well, you know, uh, I, I can see, because uh, I can see you on camera, our listeners can't, but you got an Uno game uh, on the <laughs> shelf behind you. And Uno, I believe, is the number one game in the world right now. There was uh, two or three straight weeks where uh, Uno was definitely the number one toy in the world. It wasn't just the number one game ah, in the world. Okay. It was the number one toy in the world. There has been an uh, incredible surge in a few categories, games being one of them, uh, backyard play, uh, puzzles, um, construction. I don't know about you, but we've been playing a lot of games as a family the last couple of months. It always kind of ends with Uno, but I've played everything from a ticket to ride to Uno, to Scrabble, Trivial Pursuit, even the odd sneaky game of Monopoly going back to my youth. So uh, there's been a lot of games going on in the Totsky family. I got a question for you around um, dolls and plush. It, it seems to me that in a time like this, children really want to be comforted. And and dolls and, and soft toys are, are certainly uh, essential, I think. Uh, I mean, I had a teddy bear, and he was important to me. And I'm just wondering um, what's happening uh, with soft uh, dolls and dolls. And um, I don't hear as much about it right now, but I I'm anticipating they're really going to take off when we get a little bit better back to normal. Because I think there's going to be a, a real need for children to feel taken care of, loved. And, and, I, and I just wonder what your thoughts were on that category. Richard, I think that's a good observation. And we thought all along that after this initial surge um, of these categories, it, it was going to migrate. And we're seeing that happen. You know, uh, you mentioned doll and doll play. Um, you know, the Barbie Dreamhouse was a top 10 toy in the industry the last two weeks. It's one of our top selling toys. We're selling Barbie Dreamhouses and Barbie play, play sets. Uh, at holiday levels. Um, so it has been incredible. And the last six, seven weeks, our Barbie sales are in the very high double digits. So this is migrating to uh, a lot of doll and plush play. We don't do a lot in plush, but the one plush that we do have is um, we do have Yoda the Child plush. And I have oh, to tell you one. on that. <laughs> like this isn't, this isn't the nurturing that you're talking about, but I want to talk about a phenom. Um, I haven't seen, this is the largest pre-sale in Mattel history, and not not by a little, like by a lot. Wow. The, the last time we even got close to this, I would say would be um, when we had Elmo, TMX Elmo. Uh, that was a very big pre-sale. That probably still has the distinction of the highest pre-sale for a product nobody ever saw. So there's that. When you say pre-sale, you're talking about to consumers, right? For consumers. And uh, I think pretty much at... As of today, pretty much everyone who, uh, who bought this on a pre-sale has received it. We've shipped uh, over, uh, over a quarter million units already. We had to shut the pre-sale off, but the pre-sale was in the hundreds of thousands before we had to shut it off to make sure that our manufacturing facilities could make that first wave of pre-sales get in the consumer's hands. And I must say they did an unbelievable job. They are in the consumer's hands. You might be able to find one on your local Walmart and Target shelf right now, but they will be going back up online for sale, I think, this week. Steve, I, I got a question for you that's it's really not necessarily coronavirus 
related, but I think it, you're, you're in a position to answer it. You, you were just at the beginning of our talk, you were talk, you were mentioning about uh, the Asia Pacific and South America and Europe, et cetera. What is your perception of children and toys uh, around the world? Is, how much differentiation is there? and How much is the play pattern similar? I think a hot toy is a hot toy. When you get a children around the world generally have similar play patterns. You know, there is some local nuances. So, you know, Japan's a good example where you might have a, a local license or a local twist. But generally, the play patterns tend to um, migrate across the world pretty well. And I think you've seen that time and time and time again. I think from a marketing standpoint, you need to make some adjustments. But from an actual play pattern standpoint, uh, it's largely pretty universal. As you're looking ahead to Q4 right now, we know that uh, Argos has canceled their Q4 catalog. I was thinking about that in terms of, well, it takes a long time to produce a catalog. And there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to be ordered and what's what quantities are going to be able to be made. How are you guys preparing for what is an uncertain fourth quarter? And this is late in the year for us to be uncertain about fourth quarter. It is late in the year for us to be uncertain around fourth quarter. But I think once we get beyond Q2, and I do believe Q2 will still experience some of the supply disruption that we had here in Q1, but moving beyond that into Q3 and Q4 and certainly the holiday season, uh, all around the world, we are working incredibly closely with our retail partners. Look at forecasting toys is difficult at the best of times. <laughs> right. Um, so, it, you know, this just makes it even that much more important to kind of get it right. So what do we know? We know that the category is largely recession resilient. You know, we, we model it. Now there's nothing been anything like this. We have lots of models that we run with our retailers, but we feel that it's going to be a, a good holiday season. The retailers are feeling um, fairly confident as well. Um, coming into the holiday season. So the catalog aside, uh, all the retailers that I'm talking with and I'm talking to them is more frequently than ever. They're feeling pretty bullish. We're planning with confidence. We think it's going to be a good holiday season. I think it's going to be a good holiday season as well. And I only brought up the Argos thing because of the change in how information is delivered now. We don't really print magazines or or catalogs so much anymore. It's really much more just as we have more just-in-time delivery, we have more just-in-time marketing that is using digital platforms rather than paper and ink. And that's the only reason I brought that up. It's a weird juxtaposition when you have like companies like Amazon coming out with all of the catalogs and Argos kind of discontinuing or pressing pause on their catalogs. So that is a That is certainly an odd phenomenon. But like, just like we're doing right here, this podcast over Zoom, um, everyone's adapting. Retailers are adapting their marketing message, how they're communicating with their consumers. Omnichannel is certainly um, taking off. I think that the current situation has accelerated the move online by probably two years. Yeah. You know, we're, we are seeing holiday-like levels of uh, online purchases now. So I think if we project it out, how much we thought online was going to be a percent of your sales in 21, 22, I believe this is just pulling that forward by a couple of years and everyone needs to be ready for that. So there's still going to be a Christmas. <laughs> there is going to be, there, that's the one, there might not be a back to school, but there will be a Christmas. Okay. I have this question. Again, I think you're in a really uh, unique position to answer this. What business 
are you in and what business is in the is the toy industry in? I maintain that I think we are no longer in the toy industry. We're in the entertainment industry. That's kind of my bias. But I was just wondering, what, what, from, from where you sit, what business do you think Mattel is in? And what, do, what, what business do you think we're all in? We like to create innovative products and experiences that inspire, entertain, and develop children through play. I certainly think that it's kind of merged here over time in all the companies. I mean, it is a... Uh, there's very few companies that just, it's strictly a toy. There's always some kind of piece of content to it. There's some kind of activation on YouTube. There's some kind of, you know, series around it. So that is the kind of name of the game right now. Everyone is in that. To have something break through without that is, is pretty rare and unique. But Richard, you still, Matt, there's still some romance to just a great cuddly piece of plush out there. I still think that there's a big need for that in our industry. And I hope that never goes away. And there's a need for a very speedy Hot Wheels car as well. So there's always that need. You were mentioning the transition to online shopping. How do you see marketing and merchandising changing? Is that moving online as well? Are we going to see less dependency on, say, TV advertising and more online? Are you seeing a shift in how you balance your different tactics? Absolutely. And I think this has been something that has been uh, moving the last several years. You know, TV is still a big part of Mattel's marketing mix. I still think it's an important part of the marketing mix, but certainly it is not the only part of the marketing mix. Digital activations and how we partner even with our retailers. So a lot of our retailers are becoming marketing avenues lately and how to partner with them is becoming a more important play. So I do think that you've seen a lot of us a lot of Mattel moving online. YouTube is a great example. Barbie is the number one girls brand on YouTube. Hot Wheels is the number one boys toy brand on YouTube. And right now, the viewership is exploding over the last two months. I mean, the Barbie viewership is up over 25%. Um, and it was already at a very, very high level. So if I think about our investment in content over the last few years and our focus on that, it is really, um, it's paying off. And, and kids are engaging in a big way there. And it's translating into, uh, into physical sales so they can experience the brands in, in multiple ways. Is that going to have an impact on how you market in the fourth quarter with maybe less television, more uh, online, digital kind of a promotion? I think for every brand is different and every category is a little bit different. But over the last few years, we've been certainly uh, balancing our marketing mix accordingly. So I don't think TV is ever going to go away uh, for us, but it's certainly um, in the marketing mix. It's adjusting down a little bit for sure. The content that you're talking about on Barbie and Hot Wheels, that's content that you guys are producing. Is that correct? We do produce a lot of it. Like Barbie Blogger is a great example. If you haven't watched Barbie Blogger, you should. It's just the, it's the best three minutes of your day. She's full of wisdom and inspiration. There's a lot of user-generated content as well, but we do a lot of our own production. One of the things I've been thinking about along those lines is the necessity for people who are developing products to be thinking about the content piece of it as well. Even if you've got a television show, you need to have an online content, complimentary content, because you need ways for kids and families to engage with your brand more in depth than we've seen in the past. It's not just watching a Saturday morning cartoon show or watching even strip syndication. Kids are looking to be engaged with the brands that they are loving and that they are already engaged with. 
Yeah, I think that's right. If I'm designing and developing a toy, you definitely need to take that into consideration. You know, how is it going to look on YouTube? What is an unboxing experience going to look like? I got a great example out of Alibaba on T-Ball. We did a live stream of Barbie color reveal uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We sold 10,000 units in about seven minutes, and it's just from a live demo. These are unbelievable numbers. So if you think about the marketing of a toy and how is it going to look from a demo standpoint, you need to take these things into consideration for sure. I tend to be very bullish on international trade. I'm, I'm a globalist. I, I um, think that this toy industry ecosystem we have is, is, is pretty precious and, and more fragile than people think. And it's some folks have taken some wax at it this year with threats of uh, tariffs and et cetera. So what do you see as the future of, as I call it, our global ecosystem? Do you think we're going to continue to see production coming out of Asia? Or do you think there's going to be some adjustments in where things are produced? There's going to be some adjustments, but I do think that uh, Asia still is a great place to uh, manufacture toys. There is such a skill set there. I visit our factories and our partners' factories, and I'm blown away. They're very talented people. These are truly like toy makers. They know exactly what they're doing. But like others, we are balancing our manufacturing footprint somewhat, so we don't want to be uh, completely reliant. So we are making some adjustments along the way. But I don't foresee a time where there's going to be a wholesale pull out of Asia. I find that difficult to foresee. We do manufacture not just in China, but Indonesia and Mexico. We've got uh, Mega in Montreal. So we do have a pretty diverse manufacturing footprint. Just staying with uh, China for one minute, I want to talk about the Chinese domestic market. And I'm always amazed at toy companies who don't sell their products in China. I mean, there's literally billions of people there. What is Mattel's current position in, in China as far as their domestic market is concerned? We're bullish on China. We have a big team there. We have offices in, uh, in Shanghai. Uh, I like the Chinese market. You know, it's tricky. You, you've got to be uh, persistent. You have to uh, really know the consumer there. That's one area where you got to really match uh, the consumer demand. But we've got an experienced team there. Our executive that's leading that business has been leading it for, for eight years out of Hong Kong. So I like the, uh, I like the Chinese market and I like Mattel's position in it. You guys are currently working remotely. What is it? What does it look like for getting everybody back on campus in in El Segundo? I know they're opening beaches up fairly soon in LA. How have you been doing? It seems like everything seems to be functioning pretty decently. My friends who work in animation are saying we've got 60, 70 people working on a show. We're all working remotely. Similar to your friends in animation, I have been uh, surprised and delighted by how well it's going. Our internal communications are seamless. I think we haven't really lost a beat. A couple of weeks ago, I can tell you, we held our first uh, virtual toy fair and virtual customer previews. It was great. In some ways, even better than a live in-person. And let me explain. So when I talk to my customers, they have planners or some people that work on the business that can't travel to a toy fair. But this way, they're able to sit in, they're able to see the product, and there's a magic in seeing a presentation especially if you're working on the category to be able to be part of the presentation. So do you think that as a result of this success with your virtual presentations that you may change how you interact with your customers in the future in a more permanent way? I think so. Um, whether there's going to be a hybrid versus live versus virtual, 
But I can tell you that there will be a virtual component, maybe for a larger uh, group at people's home offices where they can get a, a condensed version of our key drivers and our strategies. It just brings it to life for them in a more meaningful way. So we've been hearing about this from our retailers that there's a lot that they like about it. So I do think that there's going to be um, there's going to be some changes going forward for sure. Do you think it's going to impact trade shows? I really see your point regarding, for instance, sales calls company to company. What do you think is the future of trade show? Well, I'm like you, Richard. Maybe I'm a romantic, but I love a trade show. I do think that there is something magical about a trade show. I think it's when our industry um, comes together. I do think there's these serendipitous contacts that you make. So uh, I'm hopeful that the trade shows don't go away. Uh, I think they're an important uh, connective glue for the entire industry. I actually think they breed creativity and innovation as well. So uh, I'm hopeful that the trade shows um, continue to, to thrive. And remember, they were thriving. I mean, um, attendance was up. Uh, spaces are still sold out. I mean, I've heard you had Marion on here talking about New York. And I heard your Nuremberg recaps. I hope, Richard, that they continue on. Me too. Steve Totsky, Chief Commercial Officer of Mattel, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Here's hoping for very positive stuff for the rest of the year for you. Thanks so much, Chris and Richard. Uh, Let's all keep playing. Well, Richard, we've come to the part of the show we now call the end cap, where we talk about issues related to the toy industry that are top of mind and going on right now. So you've got something for me. I do. You know, Chris, I had the, um, it was on Sunday. And I was thinking about uh, the comparisons that are made to the 1918 uh, flu epidemic. And I realized that all the comparisons have been about the impact medically. But I had not seen anything on what the economic impact was. Now, this was a much worse epidemic than we're having right now. People were quarantined as they are now. People were in lockdown as they are now. Millions and millions of people died all over the world. Yeah, this happened in 1918 and 1919, and the 1920s were the roaring 20s. So I had never heard of any depression, recession, or anything that followed the uh, flu epidemic, pandemic of 1918. So I found a Federal Reserve report from 2007 that really went into this. And it seems that it really, in the long term, had very little impact, and that the economy came back very, very quickly. And I think that's very hopeful for us right now. I hadn't heard that. I think that's pretty interesting. I can't imagine that we won't bounce back. And a lot of people have been talking about whether or not it's a, it's probably not going to be a V-shaped comeback. It may be more of a U-shaped comeback in terms of the time it's going to take to get things back going again. But I do think people are already getting eager to get out and do things. We've seen, as we talked about last week, some optimism in the toy industry. You found optimism in the toy industry when you did your survey. And we're hearing from consumers that they want to buy things. And this summer is coming and they're they're looking at getting some toys for their kids. So as we open up again, hopefully this becomes something where the economy can pick up again. I'm just really hopeful. I think that as I walk around New York City, and as of you, I'm sure too, a lot more people on the streets, more people not wearing masks now, but most doing so. So there does seem to be something happening among just among average people in terms of 
how they're dealing with the virus. And I think that this has been so disruptive and such a change like we have not seen in our lifetimes, which are long at this point. Uh, we, we, haven't, <laughs> we, we haven't seen this kind of disruption. And in only just over two months, our entire way of life changed and ground to a halt. And I think that that's causing a lot of concern. But I do think that as we know more about this virus, as we get more treatments, as we ultimately get a vaccine, people are going to be able to return to life as they knew it. And I think the economy is going to follow. I think this is the most disruptive event since the Pearl Harbor attack in 1941. Wow. I, I can't think of anything else since then. I mean, yes, we had 9-11, but I don't think it changed society as abruptly and, and as across the board as this has. I, I agree. And I do think that there are going to be things that are going to have to wait. For example, the theaters. I've talked to a lot of people. The theaters are now closed through Labor Day, but I think it's going to be longer. I don't think people are going to want to gather in close quarters until there is a vaccine or until it becomes something like the flu or we've got we get towards this herd immunity. So it's going to take time. But our species is pretty resilient and we can at least be hopeful that after we've spent these months in quarantine and lockdown and isolation, that there is a silver lining waiting for us. Well, I think you're going to see some people when the theaters start to open are going to think, man, now is my chance to get that great seat. Right. Hamilton. I can get a Hamilton ticket for Hamilton. I get a Hamilton ticket now for a reasonable price. Right. But all, all kidding aside, it's still a serious issue. I think it's going to have impact throughout the the rest of the year in terms of the toy industry. But let's hope for a turnaround as we go into 2021. Richard Gottlieb, as always, this has been fascinating. You've been listening to the Playground Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode when we are going to be talking with Rob Angel, who is the creator of Pictionary and the author of a new book about that experience called Game Changer. So thanks for listening. <laughs>